Section 40 of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 1 by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton, dear sir, your notes upon my poet are very acceptable. I beg that you will be so kind as to continue your searches. It would be reputable to my work and suitable to your professorship to have something of yours in the notes. As you have given no directions about your name, I shall therefore put it. I wish your brother would take the same trouble. A commentary must arise from the fortuitous discoveries of many men in devious walks of literature. Some of your remarks are on plays already printed, but I purpose to add an appendix of notes, so that nothing comes too late. You give yourself too much uneasiness, dear sir, about the loss of the papers. Footnote. Receipts for Shakespeare, Wharton Boswell, end of footnote. The loss is nothing if nobody has found them, nor even then, perhaps, if the numbers be known. You are not the only friend that has had the same mischance. You may repair your want out of a stock which is deposited with Mr. Allen of Magdalen Hall, or out of a parcel which I have just sent to Mr. Chambers for the use of anybody that will be so kind as to want them. Footnote. Then of Lincoln College, now Sir Robert Chalmers, one of the judges in India, Wharton Boswell, end of footnote. Mr. Langton's are well, and Miss Roberts. Footnote. Old Mr. Langton's niece, end of footnote whom I have at last brought to speak, upon the information which you gave me that she had something to say. I am, etc., Samuel Johnson, London, April the 14th, 1758. To the same. Dear Sir, you will receive this by Mr. Baretti, a gentleman particularly entitled to the notice and kindness of the Professor of Poesy, he has time but for a short stay, and will be glad to have it filled up with as much as he can hear and see. In recommending another to your favour, I ought not to omit thanks for the kindness which you have shown to myself. Have you any more notes on Shakespeare? I shall be glad of them. I see your pupil sometimes. Footnote. Mr. Langton, Wharton Boswell, end footnote. His mind is as exalted as his stature. Footnote. Boswell records. Lady Di Beauclerc told me that Langton had never been to see her since she came to Richmond. His head was so full of the militia and Greek. Why, said I, Madam, he is of such a length, he is awkward and not easily moved. But, said she, if he had lain himself at his length, his feet had been in London and his head might have been here. Aodum die, Bosvaliana, page 297. End of footnote. I am half afraid of him, but he is no less amiable than formidable. He will, if the forwardness of his spring be not blasted, be a credit to you and to the university. He brings some of my plays with him. Footnote. Part of the impression of the Shakespeare, which Dr. Johnson conducted alone, and 
published by subscription. This edition came out in 1765, Wharton, which he has my permission to show you, on condition you will hide them from everybody else. I am, dear sir, etc., Samuel Johnson, London, June the 1st, 1758. Mr. Langton, as an undergraduate, Anno Domini, 1758. Experience compared with expectation, Itat 49. To Bennett Langton, Esquire of Trinity College, Oxford. Dear sir, Though I might have expected to hear from you upon your entrance into a new state of life in a new place, yet recollecting, not without some degree of shame, that I owe you a letter upon an old account, I think it my part to write first. This, indeed, I do not only from complacence, but from interest, for living on in the old way i am very glad of a correspondent so capable as yourself to diversify the hours you have at present too many novelties about you to need any help from me to drive along your time i know not anything more pleasant or more instructive than to compare experience with expectation or to register from time to time the difference between idea and reality. It is by this kind of observation that we grow daily less liable to be disappointed. Footnote. Stockdale records, memoirs, that after he had entered on his charge as a domestic tutor to Lord Craven's son, he called on Johnson, who asked him how he liked his place. On his hesitating to answer, he said, You must expect insolence. He added that in his youth he had entertained great expectations from a powerful family. At length, he said, I found that their promises, and consequently my expectations, vanished into air. But, sir, they would have treated me much worse if they had known that the motives from which I paid my court to them were purely selfish, and what opinion I had formed of them. He added that, since he knew mankind, he had not on any occasion been the sport of such delusion, and that he had never been disappointed by anyone but himself. End of footnote. You who are very capable of anticipating futurity and raising phantoms before your own eyes must often have imagined to yourself an academical life and have conceived what would be the manners, the views and the conversation of men devoted to letters, how they would choose their companions, how they would direct their studies and how they would regulate their lives. Let me know what you expected and what you have found. At least record it to yourself before custom has reconciled you to the scenes before you, and the disparity of your discoveries to your hopes has vanished from your mind. It is a rule never to be forgotten that whatever strikes strongly shall be described while the first impression remains fresh upon the mind. 
i love dear sir to think on you and therefore should willingly write more to you but that the post will not now give me leave to do more than send my compliments to mr wharton and tell you that i am dear sir most affectionately your very humble servant samuel johnson june the twenty eighth seventeen fifty seven footnote this and some of the other letters to langton were not received by boswell till the first volume of the second edition had been carried through the press he gave them as a supplement to the second volume the date of this letter was there wrongly given as june the twenty seventh seventeen fifty eight in the third edition it was corrected nevertheless the letter was misplaced as if the wrong date were the right one langton as i have shown subscribed the articles at oxford on july the seventh seventeen fifty seven he must have come into residence as johnson did some little while before this subscription End footnote. a violent death anno domini seventeen fifty nine to Bennett Langton, Esquire, at Langton, near Spilsbury, Lincolnshire, dear sir, I shall be sorry to think that what engrosses the attention of my friend should have no part of mine. Your mind is now full of the fate of Dury. Footnote. Major General Alexander Dury of the 1st Regiment of Foot Guards, who fell in the gallant discharge of his duty near Sankar, in the well-known unfortunate expedition against france in seventeen fifty eight his lady and mr langton's mother were sisters he left an only son lieutenant colonel dury who has a company in the same regiment boswell the expedition had been sent against st malo early in september failing in the attempt the land forces retreated to saint where while embarking they were attacked by the french about four hundred of our soldiers were made prisoners and six hundred killed and wounded End of footnote. but his fate is past and nothing remains but to try what reflection will suggest to mitigate the terrors of a violent death which is more formidable at the first glance than on a nearer and more steady view a violent death is never very painful the only danger is lest it should be unprovided but if a man can be supposed to make no provision for death in war what can be the state that would have awakened him to the care of futurity when would that man have prepared himself to die who went to seek death without preparation what then can be the reason why we lament more him that dies of a wound than him that dies of a fever a man that languishes with disease ends his life with more pain but with less virtue he leaves no example to his friends nor bequeaths any honour to his descendants the only reason why we lament a soldier's death is that we think he might have lived longer yet this cause of grief is common to many other kinds of death which are not so passionately bewailed the truth is that every death is violent which is the effect of accident 
every death which is not gradually brought on by the miseries of age or when life is extinguished for any other reason than that it is burnt out he that dies before sixty of a cold or consumption dies in reality by a violent death yet his death is borne with patience only because the cause of his untimely end is silent and invisible let us endeavour to see things as they are and then inquire whether we ought to complain whether to see life as it is will give us much consolation i know not but the consolation which is drawn from truth if any there be is solid and durable that which may be derived from error must be like its original fallacious and fugitive i am dear dear sir your most humble servant samuel johnson september the twenty first seventeen fifty eight the death of johnson's mother i tart fifty in seventeen fifty nine in the month of january his mother died at the great age of ninety an event which deeply affected him not that his mind had acquired no firmness by the contemplation of mortality Footnote. Hawkins's Life of Johnson, page 365, Boswell. In the beginning of the year 1759, an event happened for which it might be imagined he was well prepared, the death of his mother, who had attained the age of ninety. But he, whose mind had acquired no firmness by the contemplation of mortality, was as little able to sustain the shock as he would have been had this loss befallen him in his knowledge. End of footnote. But that his reverential affection for her was not abated by years, as indeed he retained all his tender feelings even to the latest period of his life. Footnote. We may apply to Johnson in his behaviour to his mother what he said of Pope in his behaviour to his parents. Whatever was his pride, to them he was obedient and whatever was his irritability, to them he was gentle. Life has, among its soothing and quiet comforts, few things better to give than such a son. Johnson's Works, Volume 8, page 281. In The Idler of January the 27th, 1759, number 41, Johnson shows his grief for his loss. The last year, the last day must come. It has come and is past. The life which made my own life pleasant is at an end, and the gates of death are shut upon my prospects. Such is the condition of our present existence that life must one time lose its associations and every inhabitant of the earth must walk downward to the grave alone and unregarded, without any partner of his joy or grief, without any interested witness of his misfortunes or success. Misfortune, indeed, he may yet feel, for where is the bottom of the misery of man? But what is success to him that has none to enjoy it? 
happiness is not found in self-contemplation it is perceived only when it is reflected from another in rasselas chapter forty five he makes a sage say with a sigh praise is to an old man an empty sound i have neither mother to be delighted with the reputation of her son nor wife to partake the honours of her husband he here says once more what he had already said in his letter to lord chesterfield and in the preface to the dictionary End of footnote. i have been told that he regretted much his not having gone to visit his mother for several years previous to her death footnote. writing to his birmingham friend mr hector on october the seventh seventeen fifty six he said i have been thinking every month of coming down into the country but every month has brought its hindrances from that kind of melancholy indisposition which i had when we lived together at birmingham i have never been free but have always had it operating against my health and my life with more or less violence i hope however to see all my friends all that are remaining in no very long time notes and queries sixth series volume three page three o one no doubt his constant poverty and the need that he was under of making provision for the day that was passing over him had had much to do in keeping him from a journey to lichfield a passage in one of his letters shows that fourteen years later the stage-coach took twenty-six hours in going from london to lichfield piozzi letters the return journey was very uncertain for our carriages he wrote are only such as pass through the place sometimes full and sometimes vacant the traveller had to watch for a place as measured by time london was in seventeen seventy two one hour farther from lichfield than it now is from marseilles it is strange when we consider the long separation between johnson and his mother that in rasselas written just after her death he makes imlac say there is such communication in square brackets in europe between distant places that one friend can hardly be said to be absent from another rasselas chapter eleven his stepdaughter miss porter though for many years she was well off had never been to london nay according to horace walpole memoirs of the reign of george the third george the third had never seen the sea nor ever been thirty miles from london at the age of thirty-four but he was constantly engaged in literary labours which confined him to london and though he had not the comfort of seeing his aged parent he contributed liberally to her support Footnote. for the letters written at this time by johnson to his mother and miss porter see appendix b End of footnote. End of section 40.